Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Hmm, that's good. Today is Monday, October 17th. And uh, yeah, in the latter half of October already. How's that happening? It's um, cold and rainy here in Santa Fe. We got a lot of rain, more rain over the weekend. Um, Saturday was kind of nice. And then yesterday was just start Saturday night, nonstop rain all day. So I spent a lot of time reading by the fire. And that was, um, that was all that, uh, that you imagine it could be. Uh, Saturday, I did not do a lot. Um, and it was, it was good. It was good. I was feeling a little bit lazy, as I rarely do. Um, I did spend a lot of time talking to people on the internet, which was fun. And, and yeah, reading by the fire. Did accomplish um, some final judging for a contest. So I got that reading accomplished. It was actually a really good accomplishment weekend. I got many, many things done. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was nice because even though, and maybe because of that, I took the day off on Saturday and did very little yesterday was very productive. I finally, 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 and this has been sliding down my to-do list for months and it was hard. So I want credit for this is I finally figured out how to put my audiobooks on YouTube and the reason that I want to do this is I had been advised when I went wide with the audiobooks that uh, it can be really good to put your audiobooks on YouTube. Uh, Lindsay Baroker has a great uh, video about why she decided to do this, and she's got her audiobooks on there. And some other people said so too, but I'll, I'll link to Lindsay's podcast about it because uh, she was very helpful to me. Uh, but it turns out that there is a really great audience on YouTube for listening to audiobooks. And I think Lindsay did her post a couple of years ago. Uh, and so this may have changed, but one of the great things about putting stuff on YouTube is that like this podcast, for those of you who listen on here, oh, I should say if you, um, you may be able to hear from the sound quality, but if you're not on video, I am in my office today because it's just, um, yeah, it's like 43 degrees outside and soaking wet. So I'm inside. I don't know if the uh, grape arbor season is completely over yet, but we're getting close. So anyway, um, on YouTube, if you have over a thousand subscribers, which I don't even, I don't have anywhere close to that. Or once you pass 4,000 views of all of the stuff on your channel, uh, then you get monetized. And I'm actually doing okay on the views. So um, if you waffle podcast wise, uh, you know, like I never tell you, you know, I never tell people buy my books here over this or that sort of thing. But if it is all the same to you, whether you watch slash listen on YouTube versus elsewhere, those YouTube views will start once I pass those 4,000 views then YouTube automatically monetizes, 
which would be kind of cool. And so I know people who are making decent money from people listening to their audiobooks via YouTube. And so for those of you authors who are interested in doing this, basically what you do is you have to use a, um, a video application. Um, and let me look up which one I got. Okay, I grabbed all the links while I was at it. So I'm using the Wondershare Filmora uh, because I have a PC. Uh, and that's a Windows video editor. And it was reasonably intuitive. I mean, it's the thing, right? Um, I saw a very interesting conversation this weekend about how uh, the changes, the continual changes in software uh, are hard on older people. Um, to a point that the person talking about it was wondering if maybe we would have to have government interference because the companies like Microsoft or Google or what have you, that the managers are incentivized and given bonuses for rollouts of new software or of new changes, whether or not those changes are necessary. And each time the stuff changes, it's harder on older people. And boy, this weekend I was, I mean, I spent a bunch of hours yesterday afternoon being like, okay, I'm going to learn this thing. I had to figure out how am I going to get my audio books on YouTube? Um, as an, a side note, uh, everybody who's told me that this is good says that, um, they are making money on it, that it's reasonable money and that the audience does not seem to be, uh, leeching from other audiences. Apparently a lot of people are now listening to stuff on YouTube. You don't have to look at it. Um, so, and I listen to my music on YouTube music because I don't have another choice if I want to use my Android phone. So, um, so yeah, I'll put a link to this, to the Wondershare Filmora and to Lindsay Baroker's podcast. Um, so basically what I did was loaded all of the chapters onto the audio track of the video software and then just put the cover as one long image so it becomes a video it becomes an mp4 and i've uploaded it to youtube so what happens on wondershare filmora is that you create this video and you save it as a project and then you export it to the mp4 uh, and that took about two hours then you upload to YouTube, which also takes about two hours. Uh, and it barfed on me last night. I made a mistake. I didn't, um, I was loading it to Dropbox and I didn't wait for it to completely load. I didn't realize it hadn't completely loaded, but I also didn't check. Uh, and I, before I started uploading to YouTube, so I came back from watching uh, a show with David and the computer had crashed. Um, and I think that's why. So I set it to sync to Dropbox and just let it do that overnight while, while I was sleeping. This morning it was all synced and uploaded. Uh, you do need a fair amount of room. Um, it is, let's just tell you how much it is. It does take up a fair amount of room. Uh, so come on, don't do that. Yeah, it's, it's about 30 gigabytes. And I think it for a while was absorbing about 60 while it 
did the, I don't know, transformation. So, um, and then it takes a long time to upload to YouTube. This is not the definitive post on this. I'll talk about it tomorrow because right now it's still showing as upload complete, but it's still processing. It says processing will begin shortly. And I don't know if that means I did something wrong or not, but I was very happy to get that done and get that figured out. Um, so I learned a thing. I did my Clifton strengths this weekend in part prodded by a podcast by Becca Syme, uh, who I, you know, just, <coughs> excuse me, that cough is not for Becca. Uh, one of uh, the SFF7 folks, Marcella Bernard, uh, shared Becca's, uh, a recent podcast on the SFF7 blog, and I shared it in a couple places afterwards because I felt like Becca said some really, really important things. Uh, and she does a lot of author coaching stuff. And now she's got like a coaching staff under her and all of these things. And one of the things she does, I guess, as part of her corporate job is she does use like Clifton Strengths to tell teach writers how to maximize their strengths. And people have been telling me for a long time that I should do my Clifton Strengths because I might be interested in the results. So I got the results. And I think this is kind of funny. I've been, I still can't decide exactly what this means because I only did like the top five. I didn't do the full report because I figured paying $20 was enough for this. But I think it's very funny that my number one strength is connectedness. Um, and actually, I'd have to bring this up too. It, it's really kind of amusing because this does show... Usually I'm like evenly spread across all categories when I do these kinds of things. And in this case, I am definitely not. Um, connectedness is my number one. That's in relationship building. Uh, then I have two, four, and five are all in strategic thinking. And one, and the number three, the middle one is in executing. So connectedness learner, achiever, intellection, and input, um, which basically, <clears throat> so the connectedness, I think this is so funny that this is my number one, but here I am talking to you all, and I know I talk about the Dow and various things like that, so I suppose it's no surprise, but um, it says people who are especially talented in the connectedness theme have faith in the links between all things. They believe there are a few coincidences and that almost every event has a reason. Um, and it says, chances are you are attracted to promises that improve promises. Yeah. It doesn't say anything about me reading aloud. Well, uh, chances are good that you are attracted to news that promises to improve the quality of life for the entire human family, which is true. Right. Uh, I don't know why this is a strength. I could certainly see this being a truth. But it says, driven by your talents, you naturally build bonds that unite different types of people who have separate and often clashing agendas. Your appreciation of everyone's uniqueness frees you to help individuals direct most of their attention to what they have in common. It's very likely that you hold to your core values. They form the foundation of your day-to-day -day existence. 
Your internal moral compass always points in the direction of what is right, proper, and true. You trust your strong convictions to direct you to the right path, regardless of the obstacles you face. Um, which is all true. I just don't understand how I'm supposed to maximize this as a strength. If any of you have input, I am looking forward to hearing about it. Apparently, like if I do the full thing, then I learn how to maximize this strength. Uh, then I'm a learner, great desire to learn. I want to continuously improve, which is good because I had to learn how to do that freaking YouTube video thing. Uh, and then achiever, great deal of stamina and work hard, take greatest satisfaction from being busy and productive. That is me. And I could see how that's useful. I, I think the learner thing I could probably, it's probably true too. It's like, I, and I was thinking about that as I was working yesterday. It's like, you like learning things and it's like, yes, but I don't want it to be so hard. <laughs> uh, the intellection, um, introspective and appreciate intellectual discussions. That's certainly me. Uh, and then input, um, have a craving to know more, like to collect and archive all kinds of information. So I don't know what to do with all of that, but I found Becca's uh, podcast very useful, and I'm going to link to that also. And it was interesting because um, <laughs> we were talking about it on the Faro Discord for probably a lot of Saturday and Sunday. And it was amazing to me how many people um, <laughs> didn't quite internalize the message of the video. And it's something that I sort of talk about some on here, and it sounds like Becca's been sort of dancing around the edges of it too. But the, the core of her message, I really do believe is that that there are so many writers out there who are doing the things that they believe they're supposed to do in order to succeed. And the thing is, is it does not guarantee success. And she's, she does a great job of saying it. So I don't want to um, attempt to paraphrase what she's saying, but I think it's really important to keep in mind. And I think it's more than just for writing. It's, there's so much information out there on here's the formula to do the thing, you know, like all of the success stuff and all of these things. And it's, it's just advice people. It's people don't, I talk about this a lot, right? Nobody knows why lightning strikes. Nobody knows why the, the phenom happens and survivorship bias creates this scenario where we reverse engineer success in order to try to recreate it. And it doesn't work because the whole point of survivorship bias is that it means that we are looking at the people who did succeed, which is this tip, you know, like the 1% or less than 1% who did succeed. And you're not getting all the information from the 99% who could not make it work. And there's this human nature thing that is incredibly infuriating where people, you know, I think it comes from our atavistic brain. We, we want to analyze why somebody else failed. And if something doesn't work for someone, the first thing that happens is all of these people come out of the word work to explain why they did it wrong. For example, newsletters, fucking newsletters. Okay. 
For 20 years, I have been hearing this recitation, probably from the beginning of email, this recitation on how every author must have a newsletter and that the newsletter is the only property that you control. Everything else can go away, but you control your newsletter and your newsletter subscribers, which, you know, is it true? Facebook could go away. The internet could go away. You could lose all of your email subscribers. I, it's a, it's the illusion of control, but this is the, I hear this over and over again, and it's the exact same phrases and a real clue for when something has become embedded as a kind of mythology is when people recite the exact same phrases every time. It's the only property you own. Um, and I don't, I have a newsletter. You could sign up for my newsletter. We send out notices of new releases. I really don't love doing the newsletter. I like doing this. Uh, so the thing is, this is like one of the core pieces of advice out there saying, well, you have to do a newsletter. And so this is what happened on, on the discord. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't want to out anybody, but Somebody was listening to Becca's podcast and they were saying, you know, I'm feeling really called out by this. I'm feeling kind of shaky. And I'm, does this mean that, because Becca's saying, quit doing the things that don't work for you. If it doesn't work, stop doing it. Don't spend your energy on it because all of these things consume our energy that we could be spending on creative projects. So this gal said, so does this mean that I don't have to keep doing my newsletter because I hate it? And I was like, yes. And then somebody else popped in and said, no, the newsletter is your foundational marketing technique. It is the only property you own. And, <laughs> and this isn't up for debate. I mean, I love that. It's not up for debate. Everything is up for debate. Uh, and finally I said something and, and I think, and she was taken aback, you know, because she was enthusiastic, but it's like, no, no. See, you're already shouting down the people who are saying, if newsletters don't work for me, I don't have to do it. And, and she was immediately coming back with all of the pre-recorded, because I've heard all of these arguments before. You just have to take time to build it and you just have to do this and you just have to do that. So when somebody says, I have tried this technique, for example, newsletters, and it does not work for me then the first thing that happens is that someone who is incredibly invested in this technique comes in and says all of the reasons for why they should do it, why they think it's valuable, except they don't frame it that way. They say this isn't up for debate. It just is. And then explains why the person failed to do it correctly. And this is how all of the success stuff works. And I have seen this happen over and over and over again that they say, well, if you follow these steps, you will be a millionaire in five years. And I guarantee it. And then when it comes around, when you come back later and you say, well, I did everything and I'm not a millionaire, so I want my money back. They say, oh, no, 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 you didn't do it right. And it's an impossible argument, right? Because how do you refute it? They, they're like, oh, well, you know, you just, you didn't envision it correctly. You didn't give it enough time. You didn't, uh, and that's, that's the scam. And I'm not saying the newsletter thing is a scam, but I'm saying that's how these things happen. Uh, so, so yes, if something is not working for you, don't do it. 
And, and it was funny because somebody else came in and said, well, you know, you could get your assistant or a friend to do new, do your newsletter for you. And it's like, so we've already said that this is making someone unhappy and they don't like doing it and it's not working for them. The solution is not then to outsource the energy to someone else because you're still going to have to think about it and do it. Um, there are no surefire guarantees of what is going to make you successful in any field at all. Uh, and I appreciated some of you who contacted me. Some of this, I was ranting on similar themes last week, you know, who this happens in corporate America, right? And I appreciated you pointing that out, that it's, you know, working hard doesn't necessarily mean earning more money. Um, doing your very, very best doesn't necessarily mean you're going to rise to the top. Following the steps that somebody else followed does not mean that you're going to get the same result. Um, reverse engineering success, looking at somebody who said, who's very successful, uh, like Sarah J. Moss, and you look at her and you say, oh, okay, well, I want to be as wealthy and popular as Sarah J. Moss. So therefore, I will reverse engineer what she did. I'll look at her covers and her themes and her marketing and I don't know, her bath salts that she uses and I'll do all of these things to try to be more like her and it's not gonna work. What you have to do is you have to get very honest with yourself and tell all the other people to just shut up with their, this isn't up for debate, this is what works. And do the things that work for you. And this comes back to my mantra, figure out what your process is and own it. Find out what works for you. If you don't want to do a newsletter, don't do a newsletter. Jeez, the world is not going to collapse. Uh, Grace Draven does not do a newsletter. When I point this out, people come up with this whole raft of excuses for why she doesn't need to, but everyone else does. No, you don't have to. You don't have to do it. And please don't do the things that suck away your creative energy. Do the things that give you joy, that yield you success, and you are the one who decides what's successful. You get to choose that metric. And we'll talk about this more all this week because I've already run long. But um, there you have it. Uh, nobody else gets to decide what is success but you. Um, my mantra of figure out what your process is and own it. Somebody pointed out that it's very like the, the great quote from Dolly Parton, which is find out who you are and do it on purpose. Um, all of these things, you do not need to be like anybody else. And in fact, you can't be. So you might as well be you to the best of your ability. So those are your marching orders for this Monday. Uh, and I will talk about more this week. You all take care. Bye-bye.